hey, am I becoming a bureaucrat in a large, let's say a corporate company? And is it time for me to basically dial that back a little bit and maybe get into some career transition? Forgive the interruption. It's a great point. People got to ask themselves, have they gone to a place where they're just reporting the news? Are they still already making the news? And once they ask themselves their question, they know whether they got to move on and reinvent themselves or whether they're good. Welcome to the Career Nation Show, where you learn the strategies and tools to own and drive your career. Find out more at careertiger.com. Today, we have a very special guest. He is the father of technical services in our industry. Please welcome the one and only Joe Pinto. Joe, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Abhijit. Thank you. It's an honor. I'm looking forward to the next 30 minutes to share some of the experience, some of the insights, and some of the many learnings I've had out there over the years. Wonderful. Joe, thank you so much for making time for us. Um, why don't we just get right into it? Tell us about your career journey. You know, we want to go back to the day of the young, well, you're still young, Joe, but younger Joe Pintel, and tell us from the early days to now, now you're the SVP of customer experience at Pure Storage. Walk us through the journey. How was it uh, when you were just starting out to now? Sure. I, start, I started out in high tech when I was 19 years old when my brother sent me the one ads, the one ads, there's an old term, of San Jose, California. And the San Jose Mercury one ads were equal in size to the New York Times. Now you gotta remember, the New York Times was serving 8 million New Yorkers and the San Jose one ads were serving 650,000 people in the greater San Jose area. So it was not rocket science to figure out that all the jobs were in San Jose, California. So I was in the middle of college. I decided I was studying in engineering. I decided I would come to San Jose. I got hired on as a technician because back then they were really looking for technicians in, in addition to engineers. And I started going to school at night. Interesting fact, at one point I was earning more in tuition reimbursement than what I was getting paid. <laughs> I started off working in startups because I got some career advice early on that since I was a young man with no obligation, no responsibility, that even though I could lose my job working in a startup, so what's the big thing? You got no responsibility, you got no obligation. So I was very fortunate after several startups and small companies that in the beginning of 1991, I landed my job at Cisco as a support engineer at Cisco when Cisco was a very small company. You're in this area of customer experience and uh, you know, what's happened over a course of time and you know this better than anybody else is you know, companies have, are moving to a subscription model and they're trying to uh, figure out a way of providing a better experience for customers. They're going through maybe some adding some customer success capabilities. Is tell us a little bit about your role at you know at Pure Storage. Uh, what do you do, uh, and how does creating a customer experience play a part in the in the bigger work of the company? Well, first I'll talk about the industry. You know, I grew up in the industry when technical support was viewed as kind of like, oh, we've got to do that. But over time, because of the customer life cycle, that's one of the most valuable things a company can do now. Because it used to be customers made purchase decisions based upon best-in-class technology and, and on ease of doing business. 
But both those elements have taken somewhat of a backseat to who's got the best life cycle for the customer that can give them the best outcome, the best solution. So to me, the customer experience is really much more than what it used to be, which was the customer bought assets, they capitalized the assets, and they took on all the risk. The world has changed where the vendor has to take on much more of the risk around driving to an outcome the customer consumes on a monthly basis paying a subscription based upon ongoing value that's created. It puts a lot more pressure on the supplier to create value from the point of sale uh, that the customer will realize. And keep in mind that SaaS subscriptions, although they sound really good, are easy to stop. You know, in the old days at Cisco, when customers used to talk about, I might throw this router or switch out the window, you know, throwing a physical piece out the window would be difficult to do. It might be harmful to the environment. <laughs> but in a SaaS world, there's a lot of pressure on the manufacturer, on the vendor to create ongoing value. And too often I hear people talking about reoccurring revenue. Let's talk about what the customer wants to hear. And what they want to hear about is reoccurring value. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do here at Pure is to create a customer experience that is second to none which I must admit, I was very fortunate that when I got here, the net promoter system scores, known as NPS scores, are literally second to none from an industry perspective uh, uh, that are incredibly high. I'll stop there because you can tell I get all excited about this. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you, you threw out a lot of nuggets there, Joe. One of the, one of the pieces that I re- particularly liked was creation of recurring value for customers. And a lot of times we get into this trap of talking about recurring revenue, especially in a subscription business model. And we pay, I would say a little bit less attention to the recurring value that has to be created for the customer. And is, is this part of this whole sort of this customer success work that's going on in the industry? Because I, you know, I see a lot of that coming into place where, you know, in addition to traditional services that are provided to the customer, there, there's also adoption and making sure the customer get the, gets the outcomes. Um, and is that part of the recurring value that you're referring to here, Joe? Yeah, I think part of it is that, and I think part of it, and we started doing this probably about eight years ago at Cisco, we started changing the nature of the capabilities in our offer. For many years, technical service was really made up of capabilities around support for embedded software, hardware spares, access to knowledge on the website, and access to uh, the best-in-class engineers for break-fix support. Over time, that model has changed around education, onboarding, driving adoption, the use of some analytics because customer wants to know if they're using A and B, should they be using option C? So the nature of the support and service has changed to be much more of a proactive motion than what I would call a reactive motion of years past. Yeah, that totally makes sense, Joe. You know, one of the, so clearly customers and serving customers is a passion area of yours. And over the last so many years, uh, I'm sure you have a lot of customer stories. Um, I'm sure there was not a single story that was crazy, right? <laughs> well, I do share have- with us, uh, Share with us some really good customer stories. Yeah, well, I will, I will uh, there's a lot in my head, but I will describe one because it's a wonderful story about people. Uh, we had two engineers, and remember folks, this is before there were cell phones, right? Today, something happens, you can't find someone, you ring them up. Back then, in the Stone Age, there was no cell phones. We had two engineers working at a bank in a country in Asia 
And we get up one morning to find out that there's a coup going on in the country, an uprising. So the airport is still open. The engineers are not at the hotel. We call the bank, and they're at the bank. And the bank says, wow, this is pretty amazing. They fixed the problems, but they're kind of stuck here because they can't go back to the hotel and they can't get to the airport. Well, I had a wonderful critical account guy by the name of uh, Mike uh, who did amazing things for me. And I said, Mike, we have two engineers stuck at the bank. They got to get to the airport. And Mike asked me, do you care how I do it or what it costs? I said, no, get them to the airport, get them home. That's all that matters. Now, you got to remember, this story is probably 20 years old. And he gets them to the airport. They get home safely. And a couple of days later, he goes, I hope you don't mind. I'm submitting my expense report for $20,000. <laughs> okay, what is $20,000? He goes, that was the cost of getting the engineers from the bank to the airport. I said, um, okay, tell me a little more so I could defend this expense report. He goes, I called an ambulance from a hospital and ordered up an ambulance to take them from the bank to the airport. The bill was $20,000. I said, okay. So there's a great story about just doing the right thing for our people. Granted, $20,000 was a very expensive taxi ride. I guess I should word Uber ride, right? But you got to do what you got to do to get the people out of harm's way. And mobs do clear for an ambulance. And we got them to the airport. They got the country safely. It all ended well, but that's one of my better stories. And what I love about that story it revolves around the commitment of people that I've worked with, but also around the commitment of, of management staff to make sure people were safe. So a great story and that, um, you know, $20,000 later, they were home safe. <laughs> that, is, that is indeed a great story, Joe. Um, you know, I've personally seen you build and run global organizations. And one of the tenets of your leadership has been about culture. And uh, it's about creating culture, creating an ethos that's customer first, and at the same time, caring for the employees that are at the front lines of doing the work for customers. Um, tell, how, how did you go about building this type of a culture where people are re really, you know, waking up in the morning, they're really charged up, they want to do the right thing for the customer and for the company. H how did you build that kind of a culture within global teams over the years? Well, first of all, I was very fortunate. I learned from people that I worked with, especially in my early days at Cisco, uh, John Mortgage and John Chambers. And it was always about employees first because the employees are the ones who are really taking care of the customers. Also, it was about managers that were going to spread the culture. Remember, culture is a set of unwritten rules that govern the norms of how we treat each other. And so it's easy to have good culture when things are good. But what do you do when things are not good, when people are under pressure, when customers have issues, when employees have legitimate issues about their family? Then are you going to represent the culture by doing what's right? Because remember, to do what's right is easy when things are good. It's not so easy, not so convenient when things are tough. And the best example about culture was not to talk about good culture, but was to talk about all the different living examples of what people did for each other. It's one of the reasons I'm here at Pure. One thing I really was impressed with about Pure is that the Pure culture really is the culture that I really admired and respected around being centered around people, the customers, 
just doing the right thing in general. So hopefully that gives you a bit of insight about the way I roll about the culture, which again, easy to talk about, you know, but, but again, one of those unwritten sets of rules that really govern how we operate with each other. <laughs> Indeed. And those are really good nuggets, Joe. And uh, one of the ways of improving scaling that culture could be hiring. And uh, well, I've known you to hire from competitors and hire from the industry. So tell us more about hiring because I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of managers and leaders who are watching the show or listening to the show and they would love to know yeah. how can they make better hiring decisions sure. because that's one of the things that really, you know, keeps a company grow, uh, going, especially in the areas of growth. We can scale up our organizations better, provide a better customer experience, and that hiring becomes such a critical function. No, it's a great question. Look, when I go to hire people, a couple of thoughts. First, I was notorious about putting myself up front in the process. Because if people feel like they're talking to the decision maker, they're more likely to be very engaged early on and the appointments can happen much quicker. I suppose you create this big pyramid that by the time people get to you, they would have talked to 27 and a half people. Now, don't get me wrong. It's still important that the interview would probably have some number between six and eight people to make sure they're a good fit uh, in terms of culturally, team-wise, and other. But first, it's about putting yourself out there. Second, I really worked hard to get to know people as people. You know, once you get to know people about how they think, think how they operate, you're much better, more in tune about how will they fit in. It's probably the one reason why people make it in a job or why they don't make it in a job. And the last thing is I would also ask people about themselves, about what they're looking for, how do they find an environment they want to be in, what are some things that make them crazy. You know, have the person talk about what they're looking for, but also equally what they're not looking for. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think you touched upon this a little bit, which is also to bring their own personality to work. Uh, because at the end of the day, we are all human beings working together and making sure that people are able to bring their whole self and be natural um, is also important. I think you wanted to make one more point there, Joe. Go ahead. No, I think it's a great call. Look, uh, you get, we got we to gotta all be at ease with each other. Look, life is difficult enough. So I look for people and I look for an environment where we take the work seriously, we have passion, but we don't go crazy. We control our emotions to be respectful, but yet are still passionate about success uh, with that. I think sometimes people get a little confused about you know, being driven and passion and realizing the fact that we're all humans, we're dealing with family issues, health issues, illness issues, um, and other things that make us all human. Yeah, for sure. Well, Joe, here's what we're gonna do. From going, taking ourselves seriously, we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum and we're going to play a game that we play on the show. It's called Favorites. And um, we're going to ask you a couple of questions about your favorite things and you got to tell us what is your favorite thing and why is that thing your favorite, okay? Okay. The first question is, what's your favorite app? My favorite app, Okay. My favorite app is going to be, this is going to be a bit of a strange one, but my favorite app is, is going to be the uh, Wine Spectator app of how I can keep track 
of different wines. Uh, being of Italian background, uh, certainly uh, I grew up, uh, you know, exposed to wine, and that it's certainly part of my heritage. So um, I'm sure that's not the typical answer you get. It's probably some technology app. <laughs> wine Spectator app, it's pretty good, pretty easy to read, and lets me know uh, the uh, tasting characteristics of a wine. And sometimes I cheat and I look in advance of before I drink a wine, and sometimes I drink the wine first and see if I can match up what I've tasted to the app. But that's my answer. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I will be sure to look up Wine Spectator app uh, before I buy the next Christmas gift for you, Joe. Be careful. They have a freemium mark, a premium, but then if you want to pay a little extra, a couple of bucks a month, then you get more information. So just like high tech, they have a SaaS model too. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, let's see. A couple more favorites. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite quote that you go by? I've got a favorite book. Uh, it was a book that I read early in my career at Cisco called Barbarians to Bureaucrats, written by Miller. And it's a book that talks about different stages of management. And that the first stage you're at a startup, everybody's a barbarian, everyone's just trying to get things done. And if you're gonna burn down the building, you burn down the building. Then over time you go, you know, we should work in synergy. If we work in synergy, maybe we don't have to torch so many buildings and we can work as a unified force. Then over time you go, maybe we should have a vision so we're a little bit more efficient as we act as barbarians. The fourth stage is you become a good administrator. That sounds bad, but it's really not. You're getting people reviewed, you're getting people their stock, their pay, their benefits, and that's okay. But the fifth stage is the most dangerous stage. That's where you've gone from a barbarian all the way to a bureaucrat, which once you've gone there, then you're one foot from the grave. So Barbarians to um, uh, Bureaucrats, written by Miller, a great, easy read. Oh, that's brilliant. And I like that part a lot where you mentioned the last stage is a bureaucrat and then you're one foot away from the grave. It's also a very important stage where someone can think about that as, hey, am I becoming a bureaucrat in a large, let's say a corporate company? And is it time for me to basically dial that back a little bit and maybe get into some career transition? Forgive the interruption. It's a great point. People got to ask themselves, have they gone to a place where they're just reporting the news? Are they still already making the news? And once they ask themselves their question, they know whether they got to move on and reinvent themselves or whether they're reporting the news versus making the news. Um, definitely. I want to be in the camp of making the news. Uh, indeed. Um, well, one more favorites question and um, it's going to be interesting. Um, I know you love Italian food. So this is going to be an interesting question. Your favorite restaurant. My favorite restaurant for Southern Italian food, because that's where my family is from is Pazella's in Sunnyvale on El Camino. They've been open since 1957, the test of time. Uh, they're shut Sundays and Mondays, so be careful. It's an old school family restaurant. And if you do go there, I highly suggest either the eggplant parmesan uh, for people that are uh, vegetarians or the chicken parmesan, which are two of the best dishes that they offer. Very reasonable prices because they've been around for a long time. Well, thank you for the shout out. I'm sure Pizella's in Sunnyvale is going to be taken over by mobs of people 
going in pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) They will not be disappointed. I'm sure. And I'll try some of the chicken Parmesan there myself next time. Um, One more quick tip. Yeah, yeah. Cannoli, because they make the filling and they even make the cannoli shells, which is a crazy amount of work to make a cannoli shell for the people out there that know how to cook. Oh, nice. That's a really good tip. Any tips on espresso beans, coffee machines, your favorite coffee, Joe? You know, as long as it's an espresso or a cappuccino, I am certainly good to go. I must admit, I think uh, Ely is one of my uh, favorites, but trust me, I drink espresso of many brands uh, uh, as well. That's awesome. Um, Why don't we move into a little bit of sort of career discussion, um, Joe, and given your phenomenal experience, would love to know what have been some of the strategies um, that you've used in your career journey? You know, things that have helped you. Are there some approaches, the way you've thought about things that have really helped you? Um, share, share with us some of those things. Sure. A couple of thoughts in no particular order. First of all, you don't realize the hiring decisions you make really define who you are that you are judged by the quality of your team. Whether people say that or not, it's just plain reality. I think the other thing is to realize there's moments that matter. I knew in my early days at Cisco, there were several major customer situations where I knew that those were matters that would define Cisco, would define my career. And to know it in the moment, not all matters are equal. So you gotta know when it's time to up your game. And I know people say, well, I always up my game. No, you can't up your game all all the time because, quite frankly, it is a marathon and not a sprint. But, again, it's about the quality of your team, knowing when you've got to up your game about moments that matter. And the other thing I'll say is that, um, you know, I always – people are never neutral. I've been fortunate enough to give three graduation speeches at three schools. And even though each speech was different, there was one common element to all three. The people you surround yourself with are never neutral. People either pick you up and believe you can do more, or they knock you down. And, and so you got to keep in mind that picking people is a neutral decision. Either it was a good one or a bad one. There's no in-between there. Um, and lastly, I look for people that have agility when it comes to learning. They're naturally acquisitive. They want to learn. They may not have the answer, but that's okay. They're going to go seek out the information to get the answer. That's when, when I look at, you know, you know, some of the things that you just mentioned, which is, you know, how it's a marathon and sometimes it's a sprint and sometimes you got to do the sprint and the recovery after the sprint. And you got to have those times in between where you are recovering because even though we are all professionals, but we are also sort of athletes, we're business athletes and we need that recovery time built in so that we can sort of go to our next adventure in a way that really, you know, we are all energized and excited about our next adventure. So that becomes part of that part of that exercise as well. It's a good point because we've really got to make sure we're taking care of ourselves, our families, um, uh, because otherwise we can't operate a peak performance from a concentration perspective and from an endurance perspective. So being able to reinvent ourselves takes time. We gotta give ourselves time for think, to think, time for, for physical exercise, whether it's walking or whatever it may be, and also time for our family. So we have a strong foundational backbone at home, which permits us to exceed in the workplace. 
Yeah, and so let me let me ask a, a slightly different question on that. I mean, um, Joe, you are just a bundle of energy. I mean, whenever you are around, there's so much energy. Like if you are in the hallway, people would know Joe Pinto is in the hallway because there's so much energy around you. And it's not just that, but I think there's energy in the work. You're keeping your network alive. Your network is always there for you and it's active. It's not a passive network that you have. So tell us, how do you go about doing that? Like, where do you find that energy, that enthusiasm for, for work and for, for family, as well as for your network? How do you do that? Well, I think it's, it starts with a couple of things. I had some amazing parents that were simple people, but believed that every day was a gift and they treated everybody, regardless of who you were, with respect and kindness. And I saw that firsthand. Uh, second, I got an amazing wife next year, uh, next month, 36 years married, right? Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Who's been incredibly supportive. But, you know, in my heart of hearts, I realize each day is a gift. Why do I say that? Look, high tech, we're fortunate to work in an industry that has the type of compensation and benefits that it has. A lot of people consider themselves to be smart. I would argue we're luckier than we are smart because you can be smart. But if you're born in a village with no hot water or electricity, that's going to be tough to get out of there. And the reason I say each day is a gift is because, like I said, my amazing parents, the support of my wife, but also if I just think, uh, you know, personally, uh, what my parents had to endure, what many of our grandparents or parents had to put up with, just as an example, my father was a prisoner of war in World War II. So anytime I think I'm going to have a bad day, I just think about his life. And the fact that he had to survive 20 months in a POW camp, and I'm thinking, this is not a bad day. That's a bad day. And we sometimes live in our own little bubble, and we forget that sometimes for many others, the job they're doing is much more dangerous, uh, would be definitely a bad day. I mean, sometimes we have difficult problems we need to solve, but sometimes we confuse that with a bad day. That's nothing but an opportunity to learn and to be the challenge. That is deep, Joe, and that is inspiring, uplifting. Thank you. Well, let let me ask you this as we sort of conclude our session. What messages would you like to give to people who are in various stages of their career? They may be early in career, in the middle of the career, or towards late career. And they're really trying to figure out what do I do next? How do I get better? How do I, you know, deliver better business outcomes, whether that's customer experience or build a better product or do more sales? Any messages uh, for Career Nation? Yeah, I think for Career Nation, it's about the following elements. You have to keep learning. In the old days, we used to learn mostly through education. Now it's about experience and exposure in addition to education. You've got to keep learning because... In the old days, you can use the same skill for 40 years. Now you better learn a new skill every year over 40 years. Second, make sure you're, you have got a job where you're are dealing directly with, with customers or partners who actually are in the middle of using the technology. There's no substitute for partner and customer experience and knowledge. There's actually no substitute for that, um, you know, with that. It doesn't mean you gotta do it for your whole career, but make sure as part of your career, you get a piece of that, right? I think also make sure you surround surround yourself with people that are doers, people that are gonna uplift you, people that you can confidently talk to 
who will give you ideas about how to grow, how to develop, and be reflective. You know if you're stuck, and sometimes it's okay to be stuck because maybe you got to focus more on your family. Maybe you got a loved one who's ill. Maybe you got to take a pause in your career to take care of yourself. That's okay. Just be aware of yourself in the moment of where you're at, where you need to go, and it's okay to take a pause to work on something personally, but always in the longer term, make sure you're, you're moving forward, make sure you're learning new skills, and most importantly, you know, realize that the world of, of, of careers is very small. Be mindful, be respectful to each other. Assume good intent. Most people really want to do a good job. You know, as we get older and the world gets bigger, it's easy to talk about those people or that person wasn't in good. But, you know, most people want to do the right thing. So don't underestimate the impact of reaching out directly. You know, email and texting is a one-way communication. Don't underestimate the power of the phone, talking in person. That's when you can have a true two-way conversation. I find that too often now people just rely on a one-way communication. You know, maybe I'm an old-fashioned guy, but I think people got to think about more of the two-way communication where you're getting that direct feedback. There were so many nuggets there, and I'm going to unpack those and put them in the show notes when we publish this. Thank you. Thank you so much. The legendary one and only Joe Pinto. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Very kind. Take care, everybody. Hope you got a few things out of this.